The reading is taken from Mark 10, starting at verse 32 and reading through to verse 45. They were on their way up to Jerusalem, with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is God's word. Our great God and Father, it is entirely right and proper that on a day such as today we remember. But Father, as we turn to your word now, would uh, you help us not merely to remember uh, the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, but to trust in it, as we see in him the supreme example of the one who came to give his life to ransom many. Amen. As Jody said, I guess it's a personal thing, Remembrance Sunday, and I don't know quite um, how you approach it. Uh, I think it's entirely right and proper that we uh, remember to, uh, to give thanks, to give thanks for those who have paid the price for our freedom and continue to do so, to give thanks for those who've, in some cases, paid the ultimate price, fighting tyranny so that you and I may know liberty. I think that's entirely right and proper. The Christian, of course, can't help but quite make the connection with Jesus Christ, as people have done for years and years and years, of course, uh, on many, many a war cemetery are written the words, same as on our memorial on the wall there, greater love has no man than this, that a man lays down his life for his friends. When you come to the wars, I guess the, the, the First World War, the Second World War, it's certainly in the UK, I think most Western powers it's more clear-cut with them, and we're more comfortable with them. Those were wars which had a finite length to them, and certainly from our perspective had a just cause to them. And I think most would agree on that, uh, causing the First World War a bit more complicated, of course. Many today would have a more uncertain attitude to conflict in the world today, and the most recent wars that uh, certainly the UK has been involved in. Because it's less obvious, isn't it? They're, they don't have finite goals. 
or finite end. Not so clear in Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria. They're just messier in their duration, the level of civilian casualties. And of course, I get that for some people, they'd be uneasy about national involvement in, in some of these. It's what the First World War, the Second World War, they are, they're more clear-cut for us. But I take it for the, for the Christian, and you gather in church on Remembrance Sunday, it is not a celebration of nationalism, which can be good and might not be. And let's be honest, we, we can see both of those in our country, things which are very good and things which are, we're less comfortable with. But we're not here to celebrate nationalism. We are here to give thanks. Because as Jesus puts it in this passage, to serve is greatness. To sacrifice for the sake of others, he'll tell us, is greatness. And that's always true. Because it is always an echo of the work of Jesus Christ, who sacrificed himself not for one, not for a number, but for countless billions across this planet, across the whole of history. Here we are then, just for this week, and we're jumping into uh, Mark uh, chapter 10, and uh, we're just about at the last week of Jesus' life. Uh, the introduction here, he, he predicts his death again in um, uh, the first little bit that Mike had read for us. So verse 33, he's gathered his 12 disciples, and uh, says, verse 33, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man, that's his favorite title for himself, the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. So Jesus is fully aware of what he's going to face. And then we get this little dialogue, which... Um, I think reveals two main things. It's certainly what we're going to focus on today on Remembrance Sunday. The world fights for status, but there's a sacrifice to save us. Okay, just those two. The world fights for status, but there's a sacrifice to save us. Let's just look at those two today. First of all, this little dialogue then. Uh, the world fights for status. At verse 35, then James and John. Zebedee's their dad, the sons of Zebedee, they came to him and came to Jesus and said, Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Well, what do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. Well, that's quite a bold ask, uh, I would imagine. There's 12 disciples, obviously here, and, um, but they're saying, look, look, there's 12 of us, but um, can us two, can we have the inside track? Uh, can we sit right hand and left hand? Can we be the vice presidents in this company, please? Can we have um, uh, be on the inside track, not the others on the outside? Uh, can we have a uh, higher prestige, please? Can we have the top jobs, please? Can we have our name on the board, please? Can we have a seat on the plane, please? You know, they're asking for just a little bit more than everyone else. Can we, we don't have to queue with the others. Can we just go fast track? And that generates a bit of a response. So verse 41. Well, let me read it for verse 38. Let's not miss out some verses. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? We'll come back to that. We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you'll drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But to sit at my right hand or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to 
those for whom they've been prepared are okay. Look what the response of the other 10, verse 41. When the 10 heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Well, that's very human, isn't it? Well, you think you two think you're better than us, do you? Or why do you think, why do you, think you get the top spots? I mean, I, I, you know, I, I cooked the dinner last night. Uh, I, I spoke to more people in the crowd than you did. Um, why do you get the top spots? Very human, isn't it? Someone is, or in this case, two brothers seeking to uh, climb above everyone else, resentment. I mean, that is what many of us experience day by day or week by week in our offices, in our places of work, in our friendship groups occasionally. Competition for status, and often allied with it, resources. It is somewhat embedded in human nature. Can be mild, can be innocuous, but it can pop out in moments. It can break out in war. Let me just comment briefly on, on, on a global scale and then on a personal scale. Um, I'd probably just reading this, you know, I, I don't want to sort of be silly about it, but um, you read this and you think, oh yes, First World War, that's what we're commemorating in particular this year. Well, let's look at the, either the origins of the First World War. I mean, people would argue a little bit, but most, I think, the consensus amongst most historians would be, well, all of the great powers were culpable. I mean, you might say some a little bit more than others, but all of them were culpable. As, um, I mean, let me simplify things a little absurdly, but uh, as uh, perhaps Germany in particular says, well, can, can, can we be at the right hand, please? Can we have our place in the sun? That was the, the, that was the stated policy. Their policy of Weltpolitik uh, uh, in the, uh, the end of the century, turn of the century. We want greater status, please. We, we, we want the same sort of empire as the British have got. We want the same sort of navy as the British have got. We, we want greater status, please. A place in the sun was, uh, was the declared mission that they wanted. And what happens? Well, it's a bit like verse 41. Well, when all the other great powers heard about this, they became a little bit indignant. And the British said, you, you will not have an army as big as, you will not have a navy as big as our navy. And uh, we can scramble over, over the nations in Africa and try and divide up Africa, but you're not going to have more than us. It's just this little dialogue manifested on a national, international scale. A fight over status, resources. I mean, I know I simplify, and yet, kind of it. Because that fight, that competition, resources, status, is kind of embedded in human nature. Last few years in particular, or last decade in particular, there's been a train of thought, I don't know if you pick this up, some secular thinkers, that um, as, uh, as reason advances in the world, and as knowledge advances in the world, so uh, violent conflict is declining. So Stephen Pinker is the, sort of, the, the voice most associated with this, his book, Better Angels of Our Nature, talking about how there's been a decline in violence as the centuries have gone by. Uh, and in one sense, you can make that case. Even the 20th century probably had fewer deaths than the 16th century in violent conflict. Probably. Because it is true that fewer have died in direct combat, particularly in this century. But you've got to do some slightly cockeyed work on the stats because the rise in non-combatants dying goes up and up and up and up and up. 
refugees fleeing and then dying through starvation. They don't feature in deaths as casualties of war. Uh, Jody mentioned that we're uh, involved in the Great Britain in, in conflict in a number of places. You know, there are only 10 countries in the world currently that are free from conflict. Only 10. Either within their own borders or serving, sending their troops to serve elsewhere. Only 10 countries. Extraordinary. The value of major weapons sold in the world has risen 16% year on year since 2010. The arms industry is a $76 billion industry. These are what doesn't, doesn't mean people die. No, but you know what? Just within any culture, if there are more guns, people are more likely to shoot. If there are more weapons of major destruction in the world, sometimes they get used. Of course, nuclear weapons are a different order of things, and they've restricted major conflict, perhaps between powers, but it takes place in proxy wars in Syria, in Yemen. Because there's a confusion here. Knowledge increases all the time in humanity, and scientific knowledge increases all the time. But the human creature doesn't change, and the human heart doesn't change. And while scientific progress may be cumulative year on year, decade on decade, ethics, politics, is just much more cyclical. Is the level of political debate more reasonable in the UK now than 10 years ago? Is it in the US more reasonable now than 10 years ago? No, these things are just cyclical. They go round and round. We don't make progress in our anger. Because knowledge may increase, but the human heart, well, that stays the same. Just on a global scale, and also on a personal scale, one of the books I read this week, um, trying to think about this a little bit more. Uh, it's been around a while, but why can't we be good? It's quite a straightforward question, J- Jacob Needleman. Why can't we be good? And he asks, and once it's quite a simple question, often as, as individuals, we know what's right. We know what we should do, and we don't do it. Why is that? And he takes quite a long time to say, I don't know. But there is something about human nature. Well, I haven't quite got to the end, to be fair. Although I did read the last chapter. Um, uh, There's just something about human nature that stops us doing that. You know, you know the little examples. Road rage. Nothing like uh, getting behind the wheel to turn many of us from a, a very polite... Uh, Dr. Jekyll into a slightly curious Mr. Hyde doesn't take much because there are a lot of annoying people out there on the roads and they wind us up and so I'm told uh, I read this week, 86% of UK drivers admit to road rage once a week it's amazing isn't it 86% and um, and the road rage, by which they classify either a verbal aggression or a gesticulation of some kind. So it would count, you know, you sit behind the classic middle lane sitter, not that I've ever done this, but the middle lane sitter on the motorway, and they just sat in the middle lane doing 55. You think, what are you doing? And so you draw up and you overtake them. <laughs> Give them a, you know, that apparently counts as road rage. I mean, that's just educative as far as I can tell. Um, just, try to help, just try to help them learn. Um, but it is, it's just how they get you. Why are you doing it so slowly? Um, I 
don't drive that much, actually. I'm a two-wheeled warrior on my bicycle going around London. But I, had, I thought about it. I thought, yes, it probably is true that once a week, normally a pedestrian gets a, what's that? As they step out in front of you from me. It's more of a sort of outburst of, I don't know what it is. Oh, it's anger, I guess. I guess it's anger, probably. Not that significant, but it's just there. Bursts out, doesn't it? There's just something in this. We know what we're meant to do. We just don't do it. There's the harsh word at home. Doesn't produce anything. Just makes us feel a little bit better. The anger in the office. Doesn't make anyone more productive. Just gets it off our chest. Well, we know we shouldn't do it. But we can't be good. Deep down within us, we have a problem. This sort of fight for status, fight for resources. Good one coming up in two weeks' time, or just under two weeks' time, will be uh, Black Friday. Uh, online, you're probably safe, but if you go to the sales, it's always crazy. So um, here's was, was last year. This was Asda last year. And actually, you can Google it, and it's pretty much the same. If you just, if you just put it in, it's quite a target-rich environment. If you Google Black Friday Fighting UK, it's just... You know, it's a telly, but, you know, they all want it. There's a finite number in the shops. They're probably saving £2.50 on what it was uh, a week earlier. But um, just something within us must have it. Must have it anyway, enough of that. We fight for status. We fight for resources. Because there's a problem within that the Bible, of course, calls it sin. I've been struck again this week, the number of secular writers, even atheist writers, who hold to some concept of that. They won't call it sin, of course, because that's a Bible word, and they don't believe the Bible is true. But the number of atheists who say, yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a flaw in humanity. That's why we can't be good. So he quotes all sorts of you know, Marx, Sigmund Freud, the impulses of hatred and cruelty are integral to the human being. John Gray, humans are inherently selfish and competitive. It's amazing, all these secular writers say, yeah, humans are capable of extraordinary good, but there's something inside of us that means we just can't do it all the time. There's a flaw. Well, the Bible would call it sin. Why can't we be good? I mean, it's obvious we can't. I struck a, I know some here who put me onto it. Last year came out there, it was a 10-part documentary Ken Burns did on the, uh, the Vietnam War. It's fantastic. Uh, level of detail. But uh, in the first episode is a U.S. Marine veteran. So uh, I don't know what he is, 60s, 70s, I know, it'd be older than that, I guess. But um, the footage was, was dated. But anyway, one of these uh, U.S. Marine veterans, he's discussing some of the awful things he'd seen. I just, say, I, I, I just saw stuff from my own colleagues I was involved in. I just didn't think humans were capable of doing He said, one of the things I learned in that war is that we humans are not the top species on the planet because we're nice. Sometimes people talk about the fact that the military turns kids into killing machines. Oh, that's not true. At most you can say it's just a finishing school for what we already are. Oh, because this this flaw within us you plant it in the right conditions. You fertilize it in a violence setting. Well, what it can produce is horrific. For most of us, it's all right. We're, we're planted in more genteel soil. 
in our day-to-day lives. And still, we can't be good. Competition for status and resources, it's embedded in the human heart. Knowledge advances, but the human animal stays the same. And the living God who made us all says, a reckoning will come. There is, a, there is justice, there is judgment for actually every evil thought, every wicked deed. We're locked in our sin. And what we need is someone to pay the price. We need someone to ransom us. So there's a, there's a problem. Uh, uh, there's a, the world fights for status. But there's a sacrifice to save us. Let's look briefly. Let's turn back to our text. It's a sacrifice to save us. What is Jesus talking about here? Let me pick it up at verse 38. Jesus replies to uh, these two brothers, uh, James and John. Look, you don't know what you're talking about. Can you, verse 38, can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? What's he talking about here? Well, the, the background in the Old Testament, this cup, It's a metaphor. It's the cup of God's judgment. It's a strange metaphor. As if there's a a vast cup, an enormous cup, and into it goes, well, the punishment for every human being and everything they've ever done. That Jesus says, I'm going to take this vast cup and I'll drink it all myself. It's a strange picture or metaphor. But what Jesus is saying is that he knows that his death upon the cross, it's, it's not a mere physical death. But it is to endure God's punishment again, all, against all that is bad. It's to in, take the punishment against every sin, to deal with every flaw that flows from our human nature. As he puts it at the end of this passage in famous words, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. To buy us out of our problem, to pay for all we've done wrong, to drink in God's justice against every human being. He came to swap places with you and me. I think what struck me most, though, coming back to this reading, a familiar reading, uh, particularly on Remembrance Sunday, was again this idea that Jesus knew exactly what he was facing. So, verses 32 to 35, for the third time he predicts his death. He knew precisely what he was walking into. So I could just hear Jody comment, uh, People do wonderful, magnificent, one-off acts of heroism. But for him, courage looks like going to a place you know someone has died the day before. Going to a place where you know you're facing flag. Going to a place you know you're going to be shot at. Courage is entering danger when you know it. And you fear it. But still you go. Is courage. 
And here's Jesus saying, yes, I'm going to be mocked. Yes, I'm going to be spat at. I'm going to be flogged. I'm going to be killed. I'll do it for you. One man I read about uh, in the papers uh, in the last week, I can't believe I've never heard this story before. You've probably heard it a number of times. Of uh, Noel Chavas. You come across him. He's one of only three people to have won a double Victoria Cross. Uh, and he's the only one who did so in the First World War. He was an army medic. Uh, one of a number of children. Uh, his uh, dad was Bishop of Liverpool. He was raised a Christian. He professed faith for himself as a teenager. He represented Britain at the 1908 Olympics. He's a you know, pretty impressive bloke. Um, uh, he was engaged to be married in 1914, and he went off to war as an army medic. He set off, he wrote to his father, Goodbye, my dear father, which is how my son writes his letters to me. <laughs> Things change in a hundred years, don't they? But um, Goodbye, my dear father. I'm going to do my best to be a faithful soldier of Jesus Christ and King George. Well, to win the Victoria Cross twice, you probably did that, did you? Let me briefly tell you. The first time was at the Battle of the Somme. Uh, twice he'd been wounded by sh- uh, shell blasts. Uh, he kept working through t- for two nights and one day. He kept crawling uh, into no man's land to treat wounded uh, 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 British um, soldiers and drag them back himself. Uh, at points he got uh, uh, two guys he pulled back from 20 meters from the German trenches, you know, so he's under fire. Uh, did this two nights and a day. He refused to uh, go and get treated himself, even though he was uh, severely wounded, uh, until the adjutant, adjutant had confirmed that every single man was accounted for, either dead or back. His citation for the Victoria Cross his courage and self-sacrifice were beyond praise. Somehow there was some uh, confusion. A letter got sent back to his parents saying he was severely wounded in hospital um, and they were just desperately worried. But anyway, he sent them back a note saying, uh, Fear not, the merest particle of shell frisked me. <laughs> so you get the impression he's quite, a, he's quite a bloke, isn't he? That was the first. The second was um, the, the third Battle of Ypres, Passchendaele in 1917. Uh, he received a wound to the skull, uh, had to go off and uh, be bandaged up and blood is oozing out of this bandage, but he refused to be evacuated. Time and again, he went back into enemy fire in no man's land, land to attend the wounded. Uh, he got injured a further two times in his leg, uh, took bullets to the leg, um, but kept on crawling to drag people back. He did eventually die of his wounds. His citation... Though severely wounded early in the action while carrying a wounded soldier to the dressing station, Captain Chavas refused to leave his post and for two days not only continued to perform his duties but in addition went out repeatedly under heavy fire to search for and attend the wounded. By his extraordinary energy, he was instrumental in rescuing many wounded. This devoted officer subsequently died of his wounds and his parents put on his headstone The words of John 15. Greater love hath no man than he lays down his life for his friends. His citation, courage and self-sacrifice were beyond praise. Courage. Crawling into danger when you're bleeding from your head and numerous other places. Courage. Jesus Christ knew precisely what he was going to face. Not just physical death but as he hangs upon the cross billions of deaths 
the punishment for sins of countless throughout history across the world as he hangs there absorbing punishment and guilt for you for me courage sacrifice and so of course it is right to remember it's right to remember jesus here he describes greatness as serving Giving life for others is an extraordinary act of remembrance, and so Remembrance Sunday is an entirely right and, of course, proper day for all of us to commemorate, to celebrate. We remember what we owe to those who keep us safe, who kept us safe, by facing danger that we don't, by dying deaths that we have not. And yet they are, if I can put it respectfully, echoes of this death. Not just saving one life, not just saving many physical lives, but saving countless billions from hell, for heaven, for eternity. And enduring in those hours upon the cross billions of deaths, spiritually. So it's right that we remember him. We remember him by trusting him, by saying, Jesus, you rose again and we praise you and we thank you and we follow you and we owe you everything because you swapped places for us. You died to ransom my life forever. Let me lead us in prayer. Our great God and Father, we want to thank you this day again. Thank you for when we see the very best of humanity. Thank you for uh, the many who have given their lives to protect us from tyranny, to guarantee our freedom and our liberty. We thank you for them. We recognize that their service is greatness. But Father, more than that, respectfully we acknowledge that far more than that, the death of the Lord Jesus Christ was the greatest act of heroism this world has ever seen as he knew precisely what he would face as he walked into uh, danger and the certainty of physical death, yes, of course, but more than that, this spiritual punishment for countless flawed, sinful human beings. We thank you for him. We praise you for him. Thank you for how his example inspires many today, yes. But Father, thank you that many of us would say that he did that for me. So I can be spared hell and know the certainty of heaven. We praise you for him in Jesus' name. Amen.